Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. A reminder that we are on Patreon. Please continue to support us if you haven't already. It's a dollar a month. For those of you who do, thank you so much. Uh, you're making the difference in this. Today's guest is Jasmine Garcia. Uh, she's actually a, a longtime friend of mine. We went to elementary school together. And uh, funny how in life you come back to people that you've been away from for many years and you just instantly you start back up uh, where, where you left off. So today we're talking about the farmers' protest in India. We, we, we talk about the, the immediate uh, ramifications of this, the, the consequences of it, why it's important, why we need to be aware of it, and why we as a community need to help bring awareness and make a difference. All you have to do is share this with friends, talk about it with others, and your presence, your impact will be felt in a very real way. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we have Jasmine Garcha with us. A uh, long time no see. We went to we went we went to elementary school elementary, together. I yeah. think all the way back to like grade one or even kindergarten. Grade three, grade three. Good that's memory. When, yeah, that's when I came to Clayton, grade three. Wow. Okay, so yeah. glad I asked that question. So, <laughs> who would have thought that you know back when we were I guess what nine that we would be here now thirty one. I know talking to each other about yeah. current events. Mm-hmm. And and you know and having some real kind of or somewhat of a sense of what's going on, so I, I reached out to you, Jasmine, about the the farmers' protest mm-hmm. happening yeah. in in India, yeah, uh, in regards to these the recent passings of laws mm-hmm. by the Prime Minister Modi, yeah. So tell us a little bit about about what's going on there we've it, and, and we've had somebody on before but it was it was very much just a sort of a, a brief mm-hmm. kind of overpass of what's happening but there's much more deeper implications to this so definitely yeah so the Indian government Prime Minister Modi he passed three very controversial farm laws um, that basically in a nutshell are taking away the farmers' rights. They're basically opening the farming the agricultural market up to corporations who he very much is backed by. And so since then, um, the farmers in India have been protesting. And so they've actually reached day 170 in Punjab since they've been protesting and day 105 on the borders of uh, Delhi since they've been protesting. So the capital city of, in, of India. And what started out as a farmer's protest is still very much about the farm laws, but has become such a bigger issue. It's become a very much a human rights issue, um, particularly with a lot, a lot of the recent happenings that have happened. Right, because because now it's kind of it's gone from protesting to to violence and mm-hmm. and and the suppression of freedoms. Very much the suppression of everything, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the farmers when they were going from Punjab to D- Delhi, which they call Delhi Jalo, which means go to Delhi, was what the name of the kind of uh, movement was called initially, hundred and five days ago, when they you know started. Um, going to Delhi, and these farmers were traveling by foot, by bike, by horses, by tractors, by trolleys, all modes of transportation. And they were met just initial at those initial stages. They were met with, you know, um, violence by the police, tear gas, water cannons, um, lati charge, which is basically hitting them with with sticks. Um, so they were met with violence from the get go, and that hasn't stopped. Um, these farmers have been on, you know, on the streets of Delhi at, at the border of Delhi for 105 days now, and the police has basically tried to use every means of oppression uh, to stop them and to get them to go back and, and basically silence them. Everything from violence to censorship. Now, so D- Delhi is is that like is that the political capital of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so New Delhi is the capital of India, right. and that's where the center government is. That's like basically like our center government is in Ottawa. Ottawa, yeah. Um, India's center government is in in Delhi. 
And and my understanding is that uh, Modi, he's the prime minister, but there's also the president. Mm, yeah, there is a president as well. Um, the president isn't really involved. I'm not really sure <laughs> I, I like what his day, role really is, but he's not really involved in kind of like the day-to-day of things. A lot of that is all done by like Prime Minister Modi. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds like the president is almost like a figurehead. Pretty much. Kind of like the yeah. queen or something. Exactly. Like, yeah. Which... Don't get me started on the queen. But, <laughs> oh, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is, tune in next time. Exactly. But, yeah, Russia's kind of the same. They have the, mm. the, the president who doesn't do, he's a yeah. he's a, for all intents and purposes, he's powerless. Yeah. And then the, the prime minister or whatever he's mm-hmm. called, which is Putin. And yeah. well, everybody knows Putin. So yeah. <laughs> now how many people, what what was kind of hard to get a sense of was the quantity of people that are being affected by this. A lot. Yeah. yeah I mean, like over millions, definitely. Like, I mean, over half of India's workforce um, is within the agricultural um, industry. And Whoa. so you're, you're not just talking about the farmers who own the land or lease the land and are farming, but you're also talking about the, the mazdoors who are the laborers, who are the ones that work on the farms. Um, so you're talking about a whole number of people that are, you know, employed in the agricultural industry, but then there's a larger issue at hand as well of like the implications of these farm laws and what it's going to do to the price of food. And that's essentially going to affect everyone Mm -hmm. in India. Of course, you know, the rich people will survive, but the poor people who are already struggling, who are on like a daily wage where they, you know, they earn their money today and that's what they use to buy food for dinner that night. Kind of the day-to-day earners, um, how are they going to survive? So it really is far-reaching impact and it's not you know, we like to, we're sitting here in a Western country and we like to think that things happening across the world don't really impact us, but mm. so much of our food is imported from countries like India. And so there's that wider, you know, global impact that all of this has. Well, I, I, I think that the population of India is like 1 billion people or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's over a billion, yeah. And if half their, half their population mm-hmm. is based on, you know, agriculture, that's 500, over 500 million people. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if it's, it's, yeah, it's like any kind of resource if there's, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a finance guy or an economics guy. Uh, mean numbers don't, mean numbers don't work. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but again, understanding, mm. you know, the humanity of it all, that yeah. if there's a deficit, it's going to have to come from somewhere to reach that you know, the supply, the demand. Exactly. And that would, that could come from Canada or, I mean, I know where we live in the lower mainland of British Columbia, a number of farmers here are, are Punjabi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. So, you know, and, and, and obviously they, they originated from where this is happening. Yeah. So how, how did it, did it come to be that, that in Northern India, we were, we became aware of what was happening. So there actually hasn't been, I mean, from the, from the beginning days, um, there wasn't really a lot of media coverage that was happening. The news that, you know, me being Punjabi, the news that we were really getting at the initial times, initial days was really from people in India, talking to family and friends back that are still in, in India and really trying to get a sense of what was happening and, and certain, you know, Instagram, Twitter pages were posting more information. And that's still very much our main source of information is these independent Instagram pages, Twitter pages, independent journalists who are sharing things. And that's really how we're still getting the bulk of our information and international media really for the most part, hasn't been covering it that much. It's increased a little bit now, and part of that does have to do with a tweet that Rihanna made. Um, yeah. Who would have thought that you know Rihanna would become so popular in India? Well, popular or not popular, depending on who you ask. Right. But uh, Rihanna just basically retweeted an article from I think it was CNN, and just it was her tweet basically was why aren't we talking about this? And that set off this whole storm 
um, across the world. And that's after that, we started seeing things more. We saw like Greta Thunberg talk about it. Mina Harris has been very vocal about it. Rupi Kaur has been vocal about it from the beginning. I've seen kind of a clip on Trevor Noah talking about it. Um, I believe there's like American football, um, so an NFL um, player, I think it was like Juju something, um, who donated like 10,000 US dollars towards uh, medical assistance for farmers. So we're hearing about it more now, but mm-hmm. still, if you ask like the majority of people, they might know that there's something happening in India, but they still don't know the full extent of it. Yeah especially the consequences like mm-hmm. you know because really what's happening is my understanding is that india is supposed to be a democracy just like every country is supposed to be a democracy but yeah. what does that actually look like mm-hmm. yeah you know and it sounds like what's happening in india is it's becoming like a uh you know it's like it's like a corporate nation or something like that like essentially if if what i'm understanding Mm. is correct yeah i don't know however many you know millions of acres of land are up there and even how it's distributed Mm. but you know i i my my understanding is that every farmer has a chunk of land you know they Mm. have let's let's say they have 10 acres each farmer has 10 acres well they're conglomerating all of that into one and they're selling it off to corporations Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. And I'm not sure, like India is supposed to be a democracy, supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but basically everything that's been happening is basically not a democratic process. Um, right. It's basically become, I think I saw a post somewhere about like how India has kind of become like a partial democracy where because no democratic processes are being followed. Um, really, not just with the farmers protests, but since Prime Minister Modi has come into power, um, there's been like basically he's basically privatized everything basically Mm. and so it's like a huge wider wider problem um that's happening um but with these new farm laws essentially like you know some farmers own like an acre of land some own more acres of land it really all depends um but basically like this is like an entire way of life for them that's at risk and so right their 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 livelihood is at risk they're fighting for their rights and like you you're this these new farm laws are basically making the way for corporations to come in and just take away everything they worked for their entire life well yeah i i don't know if you're familiar with in china there was the great the great 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 leap forward mm, a and little bit was, yeah that, well it was this mm. period of mao zedong you know, for listeners, please do correct me if I'm getting this wrong. But my understanding is Mao Zedong, it was after the Second World War, it was in like the 50s. And they were like, we need to become a superpower. We need to mm-hmm. become, we need to compete on a global scale. But in order to do that, we have to, you know, great leap forward. There has to be massive sacrifices. So he put all this money into like, he essentially focused it on the uh, the commercial epicenters of, of China, you know, these mm-hmm. production places yeah. and the farmers and everything in the interior of China, they all like starved and millions of people died. It sounds mm-hmm. like this is what we're looking at here if we don't act. Yeah, basically. And I mean, farmers in India have been, oppressed for many many years now this is just another layer another layer to it um you know more than half of indian farmer households are in debt and the and there's a growing farmers suicide crisis um in the last two years i believe it's more than twenty thousand farmers have committed suicide due to the debt that they're in and because basically what's happened over over the years is um, I can't remember the year now, but there was, I think it was in the sixties, I believe there was like the green revolution, which was to try and, you know, get farming going in India. Cause there was problems. 
And then it's from there, it's kind of been like one thing after another. And, you know, there was the introduction of uh, getting aid from the U.S. Um, on how to, you know, how do you make your farms flourish? And, you know, Monsanto came in and that's a whole other conversation. But it, you know, these farmers have been in so much debt, crippling debt that they're unable to pay off. And now you're adding this other layer on top of it where you're basically taking away what they do have. It's not sustainable and they're going to become basically laborers on their own land and they're not going to be able to survive. And we've seen this already happen in another state in India, in Bihar, where basically the same model has already been put into place um, and those farmers weren't able to survive. And those farmers, who, who people who were farmers there are either now farming in Punjab or other areas or they're working as laborers in oh they've been they've been dispossessed yeah exactly and that's the same thing that's going to happen now not just in Punjab like Punjab is always a topic of conversation and coming up the most because that's where the bulk of the agricultural land is but this is going to affect farmers all across India and so there's been support from farmers in Rajasthan and Kerala like all across India because now um where we live the lower mainland right that's uh, because the Punjab, the region of the Punjab is so many people have been, have come here from there specifically. Yeah. And, and is this part, is this as a response to all these laws that have gradually been coming through that people have been pressured to leave in India, Northern India, to come to Canada and to pursue farming here? Um, I've, yes and no, it's like it's there's a there's a lot of layers to why people um, are leaving, you know, their homeland and, and going abroad, whether it's Canada, the US, UK, wherever. Um, there's a lot of reasons behind it. I mean, for those of the some people that came in like in the 80s, it had to do with, you know, violence against the Punjabi community, violence against the Sikh community. It had partially to do with that. Um so there's lots of lots of layers to it. Um, people come for better opportunities, uh, and but yeah, definitely. Like I mean, my family still owns land in India. Right. Um, we don't farm it ourselves, obviously, because we're here in, in Canada. But we have our farmland leased out. Um, so this, you know, is of concern concern to all of us because we so many people. Um, part of the diaspora, whether you're, yeah. you know, in Canada or, or the UK or, or US, we still have those ancestral links to India. Um, and so, you know, there's those links that we have, and some of us still have family there. Um, some of us still have land there. Um, but it's like that larger question of like, what do we like, you know, what do we do as global citizens when there's a regime like the BJP government, which is the, the Prime Minister Modi's government that's actively working to oppress its citizens mm. so this it's you know it's, it's a huge human rights issue that you know now we're now concerned about we're now concerned about the safety of our families and friends back home as well well because and, and and i was looking it up really quickly but with the great leap forward what happened is they were trying to pull china from an agrarian society into a communist society mm-hmm. and it's a great leap, right? You know, millions of people died and it sounds like China or excuse me, India. It's, it's obviously it's not trying to go into a communist society, but Mm. it's trying to go into this technological behemoth. Yeah. Right. And because who's the number one producer of the COVID vaccine, India, India. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, again, with India, it's trying to, Modi is trying to make this shift, this jump from, you know, being this agrarian society in the North, because India is massive, of course, Yeah. to, yeah, some kind of a, a continued technological powerhouse in what's going on in the world. I mean, because the 21st century, you know, this is, the, this is the future, what we're doing, you and I. Mm, yeah. If COVID's taught us anything, it's like, well... I guess I got to get blue blocker uh, glasses. Yeah. <laughs> the means of communication. Exactly. Is yeah. that sort of the fear that, that this is what's happening is they're trying to get rid of this farmland to just 
have it so it's easy to uh, uh, govern it, right? Because if it's in the hands of the few, it's a lot easier to control that, mm-hmm. keep tabs on it than if it's in the hands of millions. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and there's also the role that corporations exactly, are playing. Yeah. And you know, you know, arguably, you can say that Modi is basically like a puppet. Yes, <laughs> and he's backed by these billionaires like Ambani and Adani, and they're the ones that have made moves to like monopolize farming for many years, but they needed the help to remove those barriers. And so, you know, mm. that's where Modi comes in. They were basically. Uh, you know, the biggest donators to his um, campaign when he was running for uh, election. And they're the ones that are profiting from this. And, you know, during the pandemic, well, you know, everyone's stuck in lockdown and, and, you know, becoming poorer, they, their worth was just going up. Like they were just, you know, making, you know, doubling their wealth basically while the rest of India is in lockdown. And, you know, so there's, and it's, you know, they've privatized a whole bunch of different things. And so it's that role of corporations. And it's really, a lot of it just comes down to that money and greed, really. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's the, uh, you know, that's the the currency of the world. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, nobody cares how nice of a person you are. No. So these corporations, what exactly is like Amazon's a corporation? What exactly mm-hmm. is this corporation? Is it an agricultural corporation? Um, so they're both different. Like I don't remember the exact specifics, but I know like Ambani, I believe it's Ambani has a huge role in like uh I guess the media industry. Um Holy fuck. But That's not just, insane. yeah, not just media, but like a whole bunch of other things. Like if you just looked up, what does the Ambani's own? Like, you're like, whoa, they own that? Like basically everything. And, you know, that also really ties in with a lot of the censorship that's been happening as well. Of course. It makes. They own the internet. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My apologies for dropping a massive F-bomb there, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. now I'm getting it. Okay, so if you control the internet, because yeah. this is what I was having a conversation with this a friend of mine from, he's from Nigeria, and Nigeria mm-hmm. is having some huge problems. You know, guess who the number one investor in Nigeria is? Take a I guess. Country. Uh, country. Oh, India? China. China. Oh, that I'm makes sure, sense. I'm sure China is involved yeah. in India as well. But anyways, so yeah. he's saying that they're trying to censor the internet because how are ideas nowadays quickly spreading, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How are we able to mobilize? Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. don't have printer presses. We, we don't have the, you know, we can't be handing out flyers. That's mm-hmm. way too obvious. The yeah. internet is such a discreet means of mobilizing people. Yeah. So you control the internet. You can really suppress what's happening here. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in, in India, there's been the censorship of basically everything. There have been internet internet shutdowns, so people can't communicate with each other and bringing in internet jammers. But there's that whole larger conversation about social media, Google, Twitter, Facebook, and how they've made this attack on freedom of speech possible. Um, and Bonnie's uh, corporation, Geo, I think it's Geo Industries, they actually have some sort of stake in Facebook. And so uh, there's actually been arrests of uh, like, uh, you know, a young climate activist, Disha Ravi was arrested for editing, supposedly for editing two lines of a Google doc, which was kind of dubbed this whole toolkit that they kind of went on this rampage about. And basically what it was, that toolkit wasn't even created in India. It was created here in, in Canada. And it was basically just a toolkit of like, how can you create awareness about the farmers protest? This is a document with like resource links. That's all it was. And they basically took this toolkit and made it seem like, you know, this was, this was a conspiracy. This is where it all started. Mm. And it became this huge thing, but yeah, a young girl, Disha Ravi was arrested because she, she arrested two lines in, actually she edited two lines in a Google doc, but really she was arrested to send a message to all of us that we're being tracked and speaking up can land us in jail. And um, yeah. Did she live, did she live in India? 
She lives in India. Yeah. And she doesn't even live in Delhi. She lives in Bangalore, which is, uh, you know, yeah, South India. And she was arrested by Delhi police in Bangalore. So they had the authority to travel to another state and arrest this young climate activist. And, um, and Google, Google is complicit in the arrest of uh, Disha Ravi because uh, Indian police has confirmed that Google aided them in their investigation regarding a Google Doc. So Google provided private user data on a Google Doc, which led to the arrest of a young activist. Why would, why would Google want to do this? It's a million dollar question. And it really, it really comes down to uh, what people are saying is that uh, um, with over a billion people, like India is a lucrative market. Which is why Twitter, Facebook, Google are choosing to be complicit in the attack on human rights and freedom of speech by an oppressive government. Yeah. And Twitter has also banned certain accounts at the request of the Indian government. Well, my buddy got my buddy got banned on Twitter and he lives here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they've been really attacking people here as well um, in lodging. You know, I believe there was an FIR, which is, I guess, like a. I don't know exactly what it is, but basically by the police to start an investigation on like Greta Thunberg for retweeting the uh, toolkit, which was created here in, basically it was created here in Surrey. And the individuals who then created that document were getting death threats and they still are. And so, which, you know, it's this fear mongering trying to stop people like myself from talking up about it of, you know, if we do this, then maybe they'll get afraid and they'll, they'll stop talking about it. Well, and, and I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because a friend of mine who is, he's very outspoken, I won't mention his name, of course, mm-hmm. but he was going to come on here and speak about it. And then he said, hey man, I, I don't know if I can, because like you're saying earlier, he has family in India. Mm-hmm. He wants to take his daughters there. Yeah. Uh, right. To, and, and if he mm-hmm. says something, He's putting himself in a very dangerous oh, situation. Very much. And I've had these conversations like with my parents as well. I'm like, I'm basically putting myself at risk of right. never being allowed to go back to India again by tweeting about it, by speaking up about it. But I'm like, I can't sit here and be quiet for fear of what the repercussions may be. And I'm like, if I realistically, if I was in India right now, I probably would have been arrested for, you know, tweeting in support of something or another and so a lot of people are afraid and like my grandma's told me like don't say anything like you know Mm. you know don't publicly say anything about it and I'm like I'm not I'm not afraid um but for many people it is it it is a very much a valid fear and there are a lot of um you know artists within the Punjabi community who are living abroad living here in Surrey or or um the UK or whatever that have been speaking up and I have a lot of respect for them because they are putting, they're putting themselves at risk by speaking up. They're putting, mm. they're definitely putting their comfort on the line. Oh yeah. And you sure. know what? I fucking, I, I'm at this point in my life when it's like comfort. Do I want to live a comfortable life and just pretend like nothing is happening? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or do I want to, you know, it's like the whole, Plato's allegory of the cave and I'm an idiot too. So it's like, you know, they, they, they picked a great person to become uh, aware of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I can hardly form a sentence, but anyways, am I going to just turn my, ba- it's like the matrix. Am I going to mm-hmm. accept this new information and do something about it? Or cause I I've received this information or am I going to accept this information and do nothing and just watch you know, as yeah. irreparable changes continue to happen mm-hmm. before our very eyes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't, I can't keep watching, uh, uh, you know, I can't think of a lame show on Netflix. I can't keep watching the bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's imprisoning. We are becoming prisoners of our comfort. Yeah. And there's Thank something about doing this work and yeah, it's, it's scary or whatever, but it actually makes you feel alive because it's like, man, I, I can't, you know, I have to accept this. Yeah. And it's like doing our parts of amplifying their, amplifying the voices of the suppressed, of the oppressed. 
And like, that's privilege. You know, yeah. It's, and it's privilege. It's the privilege that we have yeah. that, you know, we can talk about it. Yeah. Maybe I might get blacklisted and I might not be able to go to India because of a tweet or something, but I can't just watch those videos of, you know, people, I see those images of those, the elderly, and I see my grandparents there. If my grandparents right. were alive and if my grandparents hadn't come, you know, come to Canada, our family would still be there. We would still be there. And so I see those images and like, it's been, you know, for, for many of us who are part of the diaspora, who are here mm. seeing those images and it has really connected us back to our roots so much these last um, couple of months of seeing those images, seeing our people and seeing the pain and the suffering that they're going through, seeing how they're being treated. How can you watch a video of a grandma or a grandpa crying and not not feel like you have to do something about it and just sit quietly? I'm like, I can't do that. I'm, I can't just sit here quietly and not say anything. And And I think it's like, you don't even necessarily need to be connected to no. the diaspora you just need to be a human being. Exactly. And it's that issue of humanity, human rights issue. And you see the violence against farmers, like the police oppression and the police basically allowing the, you know, the, like Modi's goons to come in and be violent against these peaceful protesters. Um, and you see images of that. You see, you know, you know, things like Disha Ravi being arrested and not just Disha, Disha Ravi, but, you know, there's been two labor activists uh, like Nodeep Gore uh, and Shiv Kumar who uh, were basically arrested for uh, protesting the, they're basically protesting about um, factory workers' rights and they were arrested and abused um, violently attacked, sexually assaulted in, in prison and for days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was the arrest of Mandeep Punia, who was an independent journalist um, and, and beat up. And with Mandeep Punia, nobody would have even known where he was if someone hadn't caught it on video and if that video hadn't gone viral. And they basically arrested him and for days, nobody knew where he was. And that's not just with Mandeep Punia, there's hundreds of farmers ranging in age from young people to elderly, like I'm talking 80 year, 80 year old men who have been arrested um, and nobody knows where they are. And they've been arrested for peacefully protesting. What's, I'm, I'm reading, a, are mm -hmm. you familiar with Dick Gregory? I'm not, no. He was uh, like a, a civil rights activist during the, you know, the Montgomery boycotts and mm -hmm. what was happening in the United States. And he was saying like, yeah, there were, there were 80 year old people going to jail. And he's like, you know, why are you doing this yeah. in his autobiography? And the guy's like for freedom. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, and that's what these farmers have been saying. That's yeah. what these elderly farmers have been saying. They've been saying from the get go, they're like, we're okay. If we die here on the, on the borders of Delhi, we're fine. If we die here, because we, we've lived our lives. We're fine with that. But we can't sit at home and watch our lands be taken away from us and, and know that this is going to impact our future generations. This is going to impact our kids, our grandkids. Right. And so these, you know, our, our elders are willing to die for their rights, to sacrifice themselves for their rights. And, you know, the least that we can do is amplify their voices and support them. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what a, what a sacrifice that they're saying, you know, I've lived my life, you know, and, and it's almost like, imagine if that's how we were with global warming, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the dirty old white men that run all the shit in the, you know, in the Western world. Exactly. If they would say, Hey, you know what, maybe I should stop caring so much about my, you know, my uh, economic dollar. I can't even think of what the word is for it. My, my over costs or my overage, mm -hmm. my overhead. Yeah. And maybe I should care about the world. Uh, yeah. Maybe I won't get to enjoy it, but somebody should. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, there are climate uh, deniers, climate change deniers um, who are in leaders of, of power. Um, but yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd almost have to be, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's this degree of, uh, you know, like, the, 
the the evidence is so obvious and what you're doing is so blatantly in the face of it that either you're an idiot mm-hmm. or you you know you it's like it's like the anti-maskers it's like yeah do you really believe this or are you just being an asshole exactly exactly right? yeah so either you're a fool you're ignorant you're a fool or mm-hmm. you're just a really terrible person like like Ted Cruz when he went to, you know, he went to uh, Mexico Gosh. or something. Meanwhile, there's uh, a, ice, a cl- yeah, clearly ice a climate, storm. a climate related ice, crisis happening yeah. in Texas. And it's like, oh, I have no idea that that was going on. Like, no, that was happening. Oh, really? Right. And it's, I mean, it's the same with like, I mean, when Trump went to India the last time, they mm. called it, I think they what they call it, the, the, the Namaste Trump tour. There was, riot, uh, there was um, protests happening at that time against uh i believe it was a uh, what was the uh protest that was happening at the time but basically it was about muslim muslim rights and uh people were being killed on the streets by or attacked on the streets by the police um over protesting you know about uh muslim rights and uh trump trump don't care and you know he's there and it's like you know there's there's a reason why um you know Trump and Modi were like great friends. And, and before, before um, prime minister Modi became um, prime minister, he was actually banned from uh, multiple countries, including the U S the UK and other countries, because he was implicated in the 2002 Gujarat Muslim genocide. Um, So he was banned from entering countries like the U S and the UK and other nations. Well, and, and I think that the religious background of India is such a complicated one that mm-hmm. many people might not understand, myself included. Yeah. But to be Muslim in India, because there's the caste systems, right? And I mm-hmm. think that, that the higher castes are predominantly uh, hin- Hindu. Um, yes and no. So there's... It's the cat. There's a caste system and then there's the religion. So it's like right. there's... You know, there's overlap between them, um, but then there isn't at the same time. But India very much has a history of oppression against Muslims and Sikhs for yes. for the most part, um, and it's and it's not the whole of India. Um, you know, at these farmers' protests, we've seen images of Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, all praying together, all holding space for each other for their own individual religions. Um, so there's definitely been a unity. Um, amongst the religions, um, but it's the um, it's the BJP, which is basically a Hindu extremist, and we have extremists in every religion. Um, sure. But it's like you know the it's the extremists, and it's not all Hindus um, because you know there's Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs that are, are you know all together. But it's the extremists. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that's really where the violence against all these other religions. Um, comes from and and you know Modi has his connection to the R- RSS which is a fascist radical Hindu organization um as well holy mm-hmm. yeah and like the RSS is like basically playing a role in the degradation of India's democracy into like a hyper nationalist uh, authoritarian state which is what we're seeing whoa yeah there's so many so many so many layers to it yeah because i mean essentially rss what does that stand for because because the nazis stand that stood for shoot what was it it was like the national socialists that's Mm -hmm. what nazis stood for national socialist which which you're like well that sounds kind of great before knowing what a nazi is of course like but yeah the rss i'm sure that's it's like, it's basically, oh gosh, I don't even know how to say it, but it's like, it's basically a words in Hindi, right. um, but it's basically, yeah, um, a Hindu extremist kind of organization. Like, I don't know a lot about them, um, but there's been so much that, you know, Modi uh, has done. Uh, I'm going to pull this up here. Um, yeah, that's- yeah, and like in his rhetoric recently, um, Modi in recently in parliament, actually during his speech, Modi called these protesters parasites and anti-nationalists 
who have been influenced by foreign destructive ideologies. Um, and he never once referred to these farmers as peaceful protesters. And so you see a lot of overlap between what happened in Nazi Germany uh, and what's happening with, with Modi and his approach, calling these protesters parasites. Well, even Trump did mm. that with Black Lives Matter. He yeah. Was, you know. Yeah. Funny, not not funny as in haha, but but isn't it isn't it interesting how these leaders on the far right, because that's mm-hmm. you know, let's let's call it what it is. They're on the far right, they have the same agenda. All that's different is just the words that they use. I also looked up RSS stands for uh, and my apologies on the pronunciation, Rashtaria Semwasavek saying, which translates into English as the National Volunteer Organization, which again, there's the language of mm-hmm. national. Right? Yeah. So, and in a country like India, I mean, people have got to understand it's like Canada. Well, not, I'm going to try and compare it to Canada. <laughs> yeah. You know, the East Coast and the West Coast are two completely different countries mm-hmm. in terms oh, yeah. of culture, you know, and everything. And India is just, there's so many different cultures to have a unified, you know, national identity. It's like, how is that going to happen without there being some serious repercussions? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. India's there's just so many layers, layers to what's happening there right now. So what what is the projection of what will happen in the next, I don't know, coming years? Uh, probably more of what's been happening. Um, and, you know, there, it's been a hundred, what is it? What did I say? 105 days since they've been on the borders of Delhi. And not once has Prime Minister Modi spoken to these farmers himself. Not once has he had dialogue with them. In fact, dialogue between the farmers and, you know, parliament has been very limited and sparse and very divided. And I don't think they've really had any conversations as of recent days um, because the farmers want a full full repeal of all the laws and the government is not willing to budge on it. They're willing, they're saying they'll do this or they'll do that. And they're like, well, we'll suspend the laws for, I think it's 18 months. Mm-hmm. What is that going to do? You're still, you basically just want them to go back home and then you're just going to do what you're going to do anyways. And, and so what does the future hold for India? Like, you know, as long as I personally feel, this is my personal opinion. I personally feel that as long as prime minister Modi continues to be in, uh, in power, you're just, we're just going to keep seeing more and more of the same. Has there ever been like, a, a, a positive like an example of the prime minister that that india needs well that's a tough one like i don't i i don't pay as much attention to indian politics as i yeah. have been you know of recent of recent days um yeah it's hard to say i mean like obviously india needs a diverse inclusive prime minister yes and that's questionable if that will ever happen um yeah yeah (laughs) i know this is going to sound extreme so please you know for sure shoot it right back at me but india is massive oh yeah massive and like i was saying it's it's like geopolitically speaking do the borders of that country make sense i mean take for example the region of punjab which my understanding is that really the true sense of that place extends into Pakistan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Punjab then, has already been split up multiple times. First, it was with that partition of Pakistan, India. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So the India-Pakistan partition. And then later on, I can't remember uh, exactly when it was, but another part of Punjab was taken and made into another state. And so the oppression of Punjab has happened for many, many, many years. And it's with dividing the, you know, the dividing the state, there's been, you know, oppression of farmers, diverting uh, water away from that area, leading to droughts. There's been the oppression of the language 
making Hindi uh, mandatory in all schools and trying to oppress the Punjabi language. Um, so much, so much oppression against Punjabis just within the history of India. Well, that's right. I mean, because even here in Surrey, they're they're trying to preserve, literally preserve the the, the Punjab language. Yeah, because it's I mean, considered a dying language. It is. Yeah, Punjabi language is considered very much a dying language, and uh, yeah, future generations are not getting that language. And for me, it's really important. That's a right. connection to my my home, my, like, that's a connection to my ancestral roots. And so I'm very grateful that my parents were very strict growing up of like, I have to speak Punjabi at home. I hated it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I like, was like, I just want to be a normal kid. I just want to speak English, but at home it was Punjabi only. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful now because I can connect with my elders. I can connect with my roots. I can understand things better. Um, when I see, and I see future generations, like my younger cousins, they don't, speak it at all well and, and i think as as you mentioned part of this the problem of of any cultural diaspora of any cultural diaspora mm-hmm. is is the generational changes that happen yeah. for example i'm scottish but why have like <laughs> truly i have yeah. almost zero connection zero to scotland connection. other than my last name and i love talking like i'm william wallace sometimes yeah well i learned something new about you scottish connections yeah there you go right (laughs) but but truly it's like as my point being is that you know you're pushed out of your country you know by whatever sort of reason Mm -hmm. maybe you come here and then the second generation gets it but oftentimes it's the third generation that really sort of loses it and it's actually i've heard it's the same in like uh, like businesses, you know, mm-hmm. like you have the first generation worked really hard, second generation, and then it's the third generation in any kind of company that that's when it either Thanks. sinks or it swims, yeah, right? Definitely. And like you said, it's not just the Punjabi diaspora. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who speaks uh, Chinese and she was saying that like, you know, I can't remember if it was Mandarin or Cantonese. She was one of them. She's like, it's kind of a dying language. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I, she herself was like, I don't even, I, she's like, I speak it with my grandma and her grandma recently passed. So she's like, I feel like I'm more disconnected from my, from my language. And I feel like there's moments where I start talking and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I saying things right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's like, we're saying, there's no Mm -hmm. way to know if that connection is still, you know, authentic or or whatever. Exactly. So with everything that's gone on in, in, northern uh, India has that sort of made you more proud of that part of your identity Mm -hmm, absolutely I see I see you know the farmers that are protesting and I see their spirit Mm. and you know Jardikala which essentially means to rise above challenges and maintain a mental state of external optimism and joy and it's this Mm. like state of Jardikala that these farmers have been in after everything that they have faced, they have faced violence, they have faced oppression of all sorts. They basically were on the streets of Delhi during the winter months and they've, you know, survived that and now they're getting into the summer months. Um, So it's getting hotter, there's mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff, but they have basically shown their spirit through this entire time they've built you know if you if you look at the images of these protest sites you look at them and you're like wow they've built libraries there so they can educate the elders they can educate the kids that are coming along because there are people that are coming along and they're bringing their kids with them because this is this is their livelihood and so they're bringing their kids with them because they don't know they have anywhere else to leave their kids but they've built like libraries for them school little schools They've built a, themselves a mall within a tent where you can basically go there and get everything. They've been doing like a langar seva, um, which is basically, you know, like free kitchen, um, which is a huge uh, principle of like the Sikh religion. Um, right. yeah. and, and, you know, there's, you know, and, and, and farmers are taking, people are, protesters are taking what they need. There's no hoarding of anything. If somebody needs something, someone else got it all right, we've got it. Here you go. And just like this collective unity and oneness that we've seen from, 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 you know, the, the farmers protests and just their spirit. And it's just inspiring. And it's really 
made me feel so much more connected to my roots and so much more proud of my right. roots. And, and it's really brought up a lot of dialogue as well with my parents and my grandma that I like, I've always been a very inquisitive person wanting to learn more about my roots, but just having those conversations with, you know, my grandma and my, my dad, my mom, learning more about where they came from and learning about, you know, my great grandparents, which I don't, I didn't know much about. So it's really connected me so much more to my roots. And, you know, there's from that and, and through the, I've always connected to my culture through music as well. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, Punjabi musical artists who have really utilized this art form of, of music to connect people and songs about the the Kassan Morcha. So Kassan means farmers and Morcha is basically a gathering of like-minded people protesting for a cause about the Kassan Morcha. Mm-hmm. And it's just been so, so inspiring. Well, and, and it's interesting that, you know, now as you're, you're talking about how your, your, your pride mm-hmm. for your, your background, your identity is increasing, but the consequences of standing up for this could mm-hmm. make you not able to go to that place. Yeah. Very much. It's definitely a thought that so many of us who are, you know, activists here in, you know, Canada, the UK, wherever it may be, it's a thought that's crossed so many of our minds and mm. dialogue that we've had amongst each other. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I've only been to India once. And I went as a very much a privileged teenager who probably didn't appreciate it <laughs> as much. Which is typical <laughs> of a teenager going Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I've always wanted to go back. I was actually supposed to go back right before the pandemic started. We were planning a trip back there. And, you know, there's definitely that thought crosses your mind of, will I even be allowed back into the country? But, you know, these are my, you know, these oh. are my roots. And so if, if it means I can't go back there, but I can amplify the voices of the oppressed, right. then that's just what it is. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's worth the sacrifice. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think about these leaders, you know, uh, Malcolm X, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. uh, Nelson Mandela, and they make these huge sacrifices it's their families that they're sacrificing. And it's their, t- I mean, I have a daughter, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, that to me is time away from her is the most difficult choice to make. Yeah. But the reward for, for the risk that I'm taking for the sacrifice is that the world could be a better place. And obviously what I'm doing is so trivial in comparison, but Nothing good comes without sacrifice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's really on us to, you know, whether it's what's happening in in India or whether it's what's happening, there's so much, you know, human rights issues all across the world. And it doesn't matter what we're talking up about. It's really on us to amplify the voices. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just an ordinary citizen with a voice, but people who are in power, people who are, you know, they have influence, they have that platform and, you know, (laughs) utilize it. If you have a platform, you have a voice, utilize it because there's so many people around the world whose voices are suppressed and oppressed. Isn't it, isn't it like crazy to think that Rihanna, all she did was simply you know, click, like I share things all the time. She pressed a little paper airplane thing oh, you know, gosh. or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, basically right? lit a fire under India's. Yeah. Um, basically lit a fire. Like people were like, they were burning images of Rihanna. Uh, that's like, that's some queen shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, grown, wow, that's power. Like, exactly. It's like, imagine grown men. <laughs> burning pictures images yeah. of you know they were burning images of rihanna mina harris greta Thunberg. like really you're that afraid maybe they'll burn pictures of us next i would love that Who my knows? bald head looking like Caillou exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it's like these individuals who are like you know not even connected to the country by roots mm. or anything are utilizing their voices to speak up Yet there's people in India, like the pretty much the entire, pretty much the entire Bollywood industry, and the sports industry, which aren't uh, 
aren't talking up at all being they're just you know tweeting tweeting a modi's propaganda but that might also be fear too right like yeah it's um it's basically uh how would you put it if you if you speak up you're basically going to be attacked so basically you know yeah they're just basically and there's a huge there's a huge thing between uh bollywood and the government uh where basically it's this like money exchange that's all it is and uh that you know protection really almost by the government if you preach their propaganda but at what point do you continue to support something and at what point do you say i don't I get, yeah. agree with that. Like this is against my virtues. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like when do your values really come in to play? Like there was after that tweet by Rihanna, like literally the day after, there was multiple Bollywood actors and actresses and even uh sports athletes, um, like a lot of cricketers mm-hmm. that were tweeting the exact same thing, word for word. It's like Really? Did Modi send out a WhatsApp message to everyone saying like, hey, right. y'all, we need to we need to tweet back and say that, like, uh, you know, outsiders shouldn't be talking in our internal matter, which is what he says that it is. Yeah. He says it's an internal matter. It's the country's internal matter and people outside shouldn't be talking about it. I mean, Prime Minister Trudeau was attacked in the early days as well for saying that he supports the right for peaceful protest and parliamentary people in India were saying that he shouldn't be interfering in an internal matter. But here's the problem is if, if people aren't given the right to protest in a true democracy, right, then it does become uh, an external, you know, an issue. It becomes, Martin Luther King said, an injustice anywhere, or sorry, an injustice somewhere is an injustice anywhere. Meaning that if it could happen there, it could happen here. And exactly. you know, I know I've said that before, but mm-hmm. that is the reality. Mm-hmm. And that is even what, you know, it does extend to here. And we talked about it earlier about lobbyism in municipal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, policies and, and, yeah. and, and, and that. And, and that's why, yeah, we, we do need to step up for, like you say, the voiceless. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we, we like to think, I mean, and we're so, and I mean, you were, we're grateful to live in a country where like we have the right for freedom of speech. We have the ability to speak up, but do you see things like the, sorry, municipal government where, you know, the voices of the residents are basically being shut down in a press public hearing in public hearings, especially now that they're being done on the phone, mayor McCallum just basically shuts the phone line off if he doesn't agree with you. Yeah. Where's the democratic process? I'm going to say it on record and say Doug McCallum's a piece of shit. I agree with you on that well, one. Thank you. Yeah, he, already, man. He, he already knows I hate him. So, <laughs> well, I've he's, not get, to... <laughs> yeah. no, he's done, man. He's done. Stale yeah. Doug, I call him. I've looked him in the eyes and told him I don't like him. So we're going on that <laughs> front. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I went yeah. to a public hearing and said my piece and yeah. looked him right in the eyes. And I'm like, I don't like him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at least you're honest, right? I mean, exactly. You know, what, why waste time on pretense? Exactly. So, but but yeah. the, the other thing is, is uh, and I'm just looking at the time here. I'm like, oh my God, 56 minutes. I knew this would happen. <laughs> but in that show, Narco, who is the guy again? The big drug drug dealer. I don't know. I haven't watched it. It's oh on my, my to watch list. Sorry. Pablo Escobar. What he said in the show on Netflix, I don't know if he actually said this, but to the cop, he was like, silver or lead? Meaning like, I could pay you off or I could kill you. Those are your choices. Mm-hmm. And I think in, you know, perhaps what's kind of going on in the, the entertainment industry or whatever these, these people of influence in India is they're thinking, maybe it's not being said to them, but you know, it's like, Hey, I, you, you take the payment or I kill your career or whatever. Right. Oh, and that's very much a reality. Actually, there yeah. was uh, a Bollywood actress um, who did tweet out and did speak out about it. And, suddenly there was like i can't remember exactly what it was but there was like raids happening uh at our properties um so basically was being attacked by the government because she tweeted out in support of it so it's very much a reality um and that just goes to show you the amount of power yes um 
the the government has. Did you ever see that movie White Tiger? Is that the name? I have not. It? No. It's this new one on Netflix. No, I haven't spent too much time on Netflix lately. <laughs> good, good for you. Sometimes yeah. I like to watch a show, but I always try to make it so I can get something out of it. I like to go on binges and then I stop yeah. for a couple of months and then I go on a deep dive binge again. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, in this show, in I think it's White Tiger, White Lion, it takes place in India and there's a socialist leader and she's, you know, for the people, rah, rah, rah. And then she gets into power and she's like, you know, if you want me to leave you alone, you better pay me off. Suggesting mm -hmm. that we can all have good intentions but when we get the power, you know, we are all just theoretical until we get power and then exactly. we make that choice. Like, so you and I, it's rich coming from us, but when we're in that position of power, what we do, you know, that's when we show who we really are. Exactly. Yes. So last kind of question for you. Um, what, what do you think the real solution could be for this problem? You know, what are the real things that we can do? I think, I mean, the real solution really is, is the government of India needs to, to change. No. But I think as a whole, as global citizens, as people who have a voice, what we can do is we can amplify the voices of those whose voices are being oppressed. We can utilize our voices, our platforms to have that dialogue. And whether it's we're tweeting out or we're putting posting on Facebook or coming on a podcast, even just having dialogue amongst your circle of people, mm. having that dialogue, talking about the human rights issues. There's been so many human rights uh, violations that have been done by the India government from, you know, violence against protesters um, by abducting journalists and protesters, um, you know, sexually abusing and torturing, you know, prisoners, uh, the media censorship, and even at the protest sites, they've cut off water supplies, they've cut off access to bathroom facilities, um, they've tried to cut off access to the protest site so more food can't come in. So all of this stuff is happening, and all this, you know, oppression is happening. The least that we can do is talk about it. Right. create awareness. It doesn't take it's a lot. Least we can do. It's the very least we can do. And, and, you know, we've seen a lot of rallies happening in, you know, within the rest of the world from everywhere from here locally in Surrey, Vancouver, to, you know, all over Europe, all over the UK, US, etc. And an example of like what our voices can do is in the UK, I believe it was 100,000 signatures on a petition, uh, by you know citizens of of the U of the UK they signed a petition and it was I haven't watched it but it was recently debated within uh parliament uh UK MPs talked about it and debated about it and up until this point the UK prime minister hasn't said anything about it because he's a very much an ally I guess you can say of Modi and so at what point do leaders continue to be silent allies of countries where things like this are happening Canada included complacency. yeah complacency. exactly and so you know the least that we can do is we can speak up we can act you know be activists protest about things but just really create awareness if the least we can do is create an awareness share a post share a message with somebody you're doing something Right. Yeah. Well, I, the, I mean, you know, not to sound like a doomsday person or anything, but the internet is bringing apart, it's bringing upon us the end of political systems as we know it, I yeah. think, because it's mm -hmm. the age of awareness. You know, you it can't is. hide anything anymore. You can't. And we've seen that in India where it's a video of a pro, um, an independent journalist getting arrested is the only reason people knew that he was arrested. We've seen what a tweet from Riri can do. And yes, basically. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like the internet is powerful. And I mean, if it wasn't powerful, why would countries like India, Suppressive. other countries, uh, other countries where, you know, things like this are happening as well, block it? Why would they ban the internet? Obviously it's powerful. Wow. Yeah. Jasmine, thank you so much. Uh, it's been awesome catching up with you. I say this all the time, but I, I, I mean it every time. 
I hope that we can have you on again soon. Absolutely. I would love to come on and talk about really anything. <laughs> so thank you yeah. for, yeah. And thank you for, you know, creating awareness about this. It's nice to see um, more awareness being created. And it's people like yourself who are utilizing your platform um, that makes all the difference. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you're mm -hmm. welcome. And like I said, it's the very least that I can do. Yeah. It's funny because people are, they're standing in there and they have their, uh, their signs saying no farmers, no food. And I'm driving in my rickety Honda Civic and I'm honking <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah. And they're all like, what the hell is he? You know, but anyways, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm all for the movement. So love it. <laughs> glad, to, glad to be of some service. Yes. Thank you. All right. Once again, that was Jasmine Garcha uh, on the farmers protest in India and just talking about how privilege, and I've said this before, it shouldn't be something, it shouldn't be a four letter word. It's a gift. It's a privilege. You know what I mean? It's something that it's like, I'm so glad I have this. And it's, it's, it's powerful. It can be empowering. And it's what you're doing with that privilege that could change the way this world is. And you might be thinking right now, well, I'm just one person. I can't make a difference. Yes, you can. I promise you, you can. You've already made a difference. You've made a difference in, in somebody's life. I don't know who, but I bet you if you message me right now, we could do a quick exercise and I could tell you that you have impacted somebody's life in the better. And I know I've done the same. And going back to what I'm saying about privilege is that you can use that to make the world a better place, to make real changes. And all it takes is something as simple as starting a conversation about the real issues that are being faced in the world or even in your community. You, my friend, can make a difference. We live in the age of awakening consciousness or something peculiar, something strange and unprecedented. And I know, I know that you can make a change just even by listening. Thank you so much for your time. Please do have a wonderful day and take care. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.